Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit their website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. We have terrific guests for today's show, including William Yateman. He's a uh, research fellow with the Cato Institute. We have lots to talk about. We'll visit with Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. Sharon Kenny, she writes commentary on travel, dining, and entertainment. We'll visit with Sharon as well as Dave Beagle, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. It is September the 4th, and on this day in 476 AD, Romulus Augustus, the last emperor of the Western Roman Empire, was deposed by Odoacer, a German barbarian who proclaimed himself king of Italy. Odoacer was a mercenary leader in the Roman Imperial Army when he launched his mutiny against the young emperor at Piacenza. Uh, he defeated Roman General, uh, General Orestes, the emperor's powerful father, and then took Ravenna, the capital of the Western Empire, since 402. Although Roman rule continued in the east, the crowning of Odoacer marked the end of the original Roman Empire, which centered in Italy, a thousand-year uh, uh, rule for the Roman Empire. And, uh, you know, there's those who don't uh, learn from history are doomed to repeat it. That, according to George Sandiana, in the original form it read, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it by Sandiana, the great philosopher. And uh, we're, we've been around, what, for around 240 years, 244 years. We just hope that we can continue uh, but we're moving closer and closer towards uh, socialism, and we need to maintain our independence and freedom. So important, outlined by the Constitution and assured by our, our Constitution. Well, there's 34 new cases of COVID-19 and no additional deaths in Collier County yesterday. The seven-day average for cases sunk, uh, sank 58 to 56 through Wednesday, 50% uh, lower than the seven-day average of August the 1st which is 131, and its high point at uh, 221. Thursday, there were 44 patients in Collier County hospitals, and, of course, plenty of hospital beds and ICU beds available as well. Well, we do have a renewed mask mandate in Collier County. It's designed to help curb the spread of coronavirus, they claim, uh, and will re remain in place for seven more weeks Heeding the advice from medical and public health officials and professionals, commissioners during a contentious special meeting voted 3-2 to two to extend the emergency order until October the 22nd. Had it not been extended, the order would have expired at midnight on Thursday, as had been the case when the order was first passed on July 21st. Commissioners Bert Sanders, Andy Solis, and Penny Taylor voted in favor of it, and Commissioner Donna Fiala and Bill McDaniel voted against it. Commissioners on Thursday, by a 4-1 to one vote, also authorized the county attorney to hire outside counsel to represent Solis, Sanders, and Taylor, who are being sued in their individual capacities by uh, Alfie Oaks. McDaniel Katz, the lone dissenting vote, saying it was rewarding bad behavior. And I certainly agree with Bill McDaniel on that. So we're strapped with another seven weeks of uh, masking up uh, in the... Uh, uh, these folks are making these decisions in spite of the fact that, what, what about 90% of the tests have proved false positive, uh, that uh, only 6% uh, of the cases uh, of deaths are, are the result from coronavirus, not just with coronavirus. Lots of evidence suggesting that this, this has all been bad information for us, to put it mildly, and yet uh, we're all masked up for another seven weeks. Well, the Dow slid more than 800 points yesterday, or 2.8%, during the cash session for its biggest one-day decline since June. The S&P 500 plunged 3.5%, and the composite NASDAQ dropped 5%. Thursday declines also wiped out the major averages gains for the week and knocked both the S&P 500 and NASDAQ off record levels. As a sector, the tech had its worst day since March, falling 5.83%. Apple contributed a big portion of those losses, falling 8%. Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Alphabet, and Microsoft also closed Thursday's sessions sharply lower. 
Futures are up right now, but they're sliding down as the market's open approaches. They're up as much as 300 earlier. Uh, last time I looked, they're up about 130. So could be just one of the what they call a dead cat bounce. We won't see. Uh, we could have a negative day today. Quite frankly, we were due for some sort of an adjustment on the market. And uh, I think we're going through it right now, perhaps. Well, President uh, Trump arrived in Latrobe, Pennsylvania, at the Arnold Palmer, uh, Arnold Palmer Airport. Uh, he did that yesterday for a re- rally in the President Trump's second visit to the key battleground state in two weeks. The latest Rasmussen poll shows the president race all tied up in Pennsylvania. Supporters were so excited about Trump's visit that they lined up for several hours ahead of the rally and stood in pouring rain. Thousands more were in the overflow lot. There are the supporters who couldn't make it in the rally due to a large crowd size. Just amazing how he can really bring out the troops. Huh? It was just an amazing. And I watched... Uh, uh, well, Linda and I watched his his presentation off the cuff. He is just fantastic. Meanwhile, Sleepy Joe, Joe Biden, traveled to Kenosha on Thursday to meet with Jacob Blake Sr., uh, who is an avowed uh, uh, anti-Semite. Anyhow, the, the following the officer involved the shooting last week, uh, those there was one soul out there waiting for him, waving a sign, Uncle Joe, just there's no cavalcade, nobody watching him come. Joe's visit was met with a collective shrug by many residents who say they're far more concerned with getting their lives back together than following the nights of rioting. Biden held a town hall inside of Grace Lutheran Church and began rambling about his tax plan. He looked and, and sounded creepy speaking through his mask. As soon as he started to rant about raising taxes, he caught himself and said, Oh, I'm not going to lay it out for you now. I won't, I won't now because they'll shoot me. <laughs> he actually said that, and much to the disdain of uh, other Democrats, of course, uh, where a lot of shooting had gone on in Latrobe. We know that Biden's events are now staged, and we now have more evidence. Uh, at Kenosha, at a Biden event, a woman admitted on camera that she was given a piece of paper telling her what to say. I'm just not going to be, I'm going to be honest, Mr. Biden. I was told to go off paper, off this paper, but I can't, she said. Watching Trump speaking spontaneously is so refreshing after watching freeze-dried and bombed Joe Biden reading from a teleprompter. He's actually a wolf in sheep's clothing, in my opinion, a Trojan horse for the socialists. Uh, They're going to fill him up with the ideas that he's going to promote if he were elected president. Very sad indeed. Now, former Vice President Joe Biden's uh, brain aneurysms and related brain surgeries are linked to his visibly impaired cognition, says Donald Trump Jr. He's the author of Liberal Privilege, Joe Biden and the Democrats' Defense of the Indefensible. Offering his remarks uh, on a uh, Sirius FM uh, radio broadcast, I quote Joe Biden's own doctor in a book. In my book, he said, Americans don't know that this guy's had two brain aneurysms requiring brain surgery. The chances of being normal after one of those things is not very high. After two, it's almost impossible, said the surgeon. Biden's damaged mind uh, allows him to be a puppet of his handlers, warned Trump Jr. Joe Biden is simply the camouflage to get those people a position of power, concluded Donald Trump Trump Jr., describing Biden as a vehicle for Marxist and communist ideology via politicians like Bernie Sanders, Ocasio-Cortez, and former Rep. Beto O'Rourke. I guess he and I see eye to eye on that. By the way, uh, Kenosha police, of the 175 people arrested since the riots started in Kenosha, 102 lived elsewhere in 44 other different cities. So they were transported in. There's other evidence of that. And, of course, Bill Barr, our attorney general, says he's going to look into where the money supply is coming from to fly these people around the United States to do what they're doing. And hell hath no fury like a hairstylist scorned. Protesting hairstylists held a hairdryer protest outside of Speaker Nancy Pelosi's home after she was caught on video breaking the rules to get her hair blown dry while she was uh, she commands other women to stay home. On Thursday, dozens of hairstylists and their supporters held a hairdryer protest outside of her home in San Francisco. The women draped Pelosi's tree with hairdryers and curlers. President Trump suggested to, to the uh, stylist, to the owner of the uh, 
Salon, e-Salon, uh, in San Francisco that she might want to run against Pelosi for uh, become Speaker of the House, <laughs> President Trump. And Antifa sympathizer who said he uh, said to be a suspect in the fatal shooting of a Patriot player, uh, prayer supporter in Portland, Oregon, Last month was reportedly killed Thursday night as authorities moved in to arrest him. The suspect was shot by law enforcement after drawing a gun on officers. Marshal Service said the uh, task force was acting on the murder warrant issued for Rionel by Portland police. Rionel was a frequent participant in the nightly protests in Portland that had been occurring since May 25th and the death of George Floyd. Now, here's a quote. Let me see if I can find this quote, because I'm going to wind up this segment here. It said that every revolution needs people that are willing and ready to fight, he allegedly wrote. According to the Oregonian, there are so many of us protesters that are just protesting without a clue of what we will le- where it will lead. That's just the beginning, and that's what we the fight starts. If that's as far as you can take it, it uh, thank you for your participation, but please stand aside and support the ones who are willing to fight. I am 100% Antifa all the way. And I'm willing to fight for my brothers and sisters. We do not want violence, but we want do not run from it either. Today's protesters, Antifa brothers, are brothers in arms, he said. Now, that's what he wrote before he was shot dead by the uh, U.S. Marshals. Uh, that kind of thinking, of course, uh, it's criminal. And unfortunately, go, they go to Portland because, again, this district attorney just won't enforce the laws there. And that's why they go there. If you enforce the laws, guess what? They'll go someplace else, like Philadelphia. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Coming up, we're going to visit with William Yateman. He's a research fellow at the Cato Institute. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Gulf Shore Playhouse, devoted to creating professional New York-style theater at its very best and at affordable prices, presents a fabulous new season of productions beginning in November with a world premiere of a one-man show written by and starring the talented associate artistic director of Gulf Shore Playhouse, Jeffrey Bender. Pinup Girls opens in January, singing a cavalcade of hits inspired by real letters from our troops overseas. Inspired by what they find funny, romantic, heartbreaking, and sexy, the ladies put on a show that celebrate the guys and gals who fight to defend our country. Bang Bang opens in March, written by legendary actor of Monty Python fame, John Cleese. You'll surely be wiping away tears of laughter with this one. William Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream opens in March. Meddling parents, impetuous young lovers, and cunning fairies collide in Shakespeare's enchanting classic. Another Revolution by Jacqueline Bircher opens in May. You won't want to miss this timely new work about finding hope in one another through the uncertainty of the world around us. What a terrific season of productions. Tickets for this great new season are available now. Tickets start at only $38. Tickets can be purchased by calling the box office at 866-811-4111 or visiting the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. 
Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can get season tickets now by visiting the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Dave Beagle, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. Right now we have with us William Yateman. He is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. William, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Bob. Always a pleasure. Tell us about the Cato Institute. You bet. Uh, we're a think tank here in Washington, D.C., and we're dedicated to advancing the ideals of a free society at every level of government. Cato.org is the website, C-A-T-O.org. Now, uh, William, you are living in Washington, D.C. Can you give us a little up first-hand update on what's happening with regard to <laughs> tearing down the Washington Monument and all these <laughs> the things that are going on, the, the riots and so forth? Yeah, it's unfortunate. I mean, this is, uh, alas, we started talking about um, unruly behavior uh, last Friday, and, and we're still talking about it this Friday. And, yeah. Um, as a denizen of the city, I was talking to my wife about it last night. Um, you know, it's scary. It's, you, you read about people getting shot in, in other cities, um, not just, you know, I, I also, I, by no means am I condoning undue use of police force, and, and I'm talking specifically about protesters shooting other protesters. Right. Um, so it gives me an uneasy feeling. So I'm not pleased that um, it's occurring, and, and I do hope it stops soon. So some people that uh, dismiss it uh, suggest you know, it's not happening in my neighborhood, but it could. <laughs> so we need, we all should be concerned about this. Uh, the uh, law and order, the protection of property and person. That's the number one role of government is to protect us, and from internal and external predators. So uh, the number one thing we should expect, and ho- hopefully, we'll get it under control. It seems that. Uh, I guess there was a commission there in Washington, D.C. that was suggested that they need to get rid of the Washington Monument, the Lincoln Memorial, and the Jefferson Memorial. Any comments on that? My Lord. Um, well, I mean, I, that actually leaves me speechless. I had, I'd heard recently that uh, statues of Benjamin Franklin were being targeted elsewhere, oh. but I had not heard that the Washington and Lincoln Monuments were in the crosshairs. Um, uh, uh, I'm speechless. That's that's unbelievable, but unfortunately it's true. So, uh, hey, I want to get an update from you as a a constitutional scholar. Uh, This Flynn case, uh, going back to uh, Emmett Sullivan, uh, the original uh, uh, judge, and now he's saying he's not going to make a decision until after the election. What's going on? It's unfortunate. Uh, we we had we've been talking about the Flynn case for many many months. Um, the latest twists and turns were that the the, the full court basically uh, sent the, the case back to Judge Emmett Sullivan. Mm-hmm. This having this proceeding having occurred and, and having had the the prior the three judge panel of the D.C. Circuit, which again this week was overturned, but having had them uh, uh, effectively tell the judge that enough is enough, you would think. He might be chastised, and, and he might uh, see the writing on the wall and proceed with uh, a due speed. But alas, that's the second outrage this week in the Flynn case, was that Sullivan released his scheduling order and said that in 21 days um, from Wednesday, I think it was, he will accept ideas for scheduling from both parties. And the clear indication of this move, that he's going to slow walk the case, and that presents this ultra troubling prospects whereby Flynn, and uh, we've discussed many times how he got railroaded um, during the Obama's lame duck session, how he could be subject to, to this prosecution, um, so flawed, uh, then have it hang over his head for four years, and then potentially were Biden to win and to decide to, to re-sick the, the federal dogs on him, or you know, the, the federal dogs of prosecution, um, he could be go through all this all over again, yeah. um, which of course raises serious due process concerns, but it's just troubling, and it, it amazes me it doesn't engender more outrage regardless of one's politics. This is an American, um, and you know, one actually who served our country, um, but he's, he's being really put through the ringer, um, and it's outrageous. I agree. And William, uh, you brought up an interesting point that if, in fact, Biden wins, perhaps that is one of the objectives is for uh, get a new attorney general who will perhaps take up the case again. I hadn't even thought about that. I thought, I'm wondering, is he still under the gag order? He's not able to speak to a media or do, or has that been now resolved and dropped? So I can't speak to that. I don't know. However, I would imagine that he would, uh, 
his counsel would recommend to him that he not speak you know, during the pendency of the case. I mean, even if there weren't a gag order, there would probably be a natural incentive for right. him to keep his mouth shut. Uh, that makes sense. And, and how about, can this go to the Supreme Court? And, well, there's it's a very open question. It's never been done before. Judge Sullivan effectively lost the first time around before the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, before that three-judge panel. Um, whether or not the judge had the right to appeal that to the full D.C. Circuit, whether or not he's a quote-unquote party to the case under the law, that's an interesting question. Hmm. Um, so it, it is possible that Sidney Powell, uh, uh, Michael Flynn's very capable counsel, could pursue that question to the Supreme Court. I was actually reading for that um, yesterday and this morning. I couldn't find any indications that she's tipped her hand. I mean, the decision was very recent, and she would have a, a minimum amount of time, uh, likely 30-odd days, um, to pursue such a, a, a course. But um, the, that it's an interesting question because of that legal issue, whether or not Sullivan could have appealed um, or could have participated as a party in the case. And it does potentially leave that avenue open of, of going yeah. to the Supreme Court. Interesting. Well, before I let you go, I, I do want to get your thoughts on it. Fortunately, the president stepped up and uh, gave uh, uh, eviction relief to renters, of, to a, a group of people who, quite frankly, could find themselves homeless because of this pandemic and what's occurred. But the question I have is, does he have the power to do that? Almost assuredly not. Um, this is, a, you know, it was a delegation or a, a, a statute that empowered the, the Center for Disease Control to prevent the interstate uh, transmission of diseases. That was the very tenuous foundation for this nationwide economic order of, of barring evictions. Um, I'll say this, it were to be challenged, it almost assuredly would. I doubt the president would prevail. However, Congress also deserves some of the blame here. Sure. Uh, this is another example of one of these loose-end dele delegations, transfers of power that Congress has made over the last hundred years to the president. Um, and it's, it's frankly not uncommon for uh, presidents to try to leverage these ambiguous and open-ended transfers of powers to achieve these sorts of results. So it's a, it is a presidential overreach, but however, it was abetted by Congress. Yeah, and you kind of wonder who might challenge this. And uh, the only people, I can't imagine anybody in the Democrat Party wanted to uh, challenge him on this because it would leave egg on their face. I guess the those that would have standing would be landlords, perhaps, or a group of landlords. So, uh, it, but the the important thing here is that one of the reasons we have this uh, you know, this division of power, you know, balance of power in our Constitution, we need it because we see how hungry people are for power. It's one of the obstructions to getting things done, even good things getting done. So uh, uh, we need to hold on and make sure that we're staying with the Constitution. Here, here. <laughs> All right. William Yatman, again, constitutional scholar and uh, at the Cato Institute. Cato.org is the website. William, I always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, uh, we're going to visit with uh, Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples.
Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Sharon Kenny, the author of Where Should We Eat? Right now, we have this Seton Motley. Seton is the founder and president of Less Government. Seton, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Seton. Tell us about Less Government. Yeah, we exist to reduce the size, scope, and sphere of influence of government. And very quickly, in the, in the interest of where should we eat, did you see that the uh, New York City restaurants are suing de Blasio and Cuomo for $2 billion for their shutdown? Yeah, I, I didn't see that, but it certainly makes sense. Uh, what's I'd ha- love it. Uh, I do, too. And you know what? We, we had this mask uh, mandate continuation for another seven weeks here in Collier County. You know, once people, you know... By the way, guess who's not participating in that, Bob? I would guess Living you. <laughs> me. That would yeah. be me. Yeah. <laughs> So, you know what, but here's the thing. I mean, it, we're going to talk about free markets. The government's myopic price setting never, ever works, which is so true. But in my view, this mask mandate is another example of uh, myopic price setting. I mean, well, not, not only do they have no authority to do it, right. first of all. Second of all, it's antithetical to everything we know about viruses. The, the way you get rid of virus, the virus is here. Right. It's a, it got here months ago. It's right. here. It's not going anywhere. Right. Until healthy people develop herd immunity and kill it. Um, mass uh, block the development of herd immunity. Right. Uh, social distancing blocks the development of herd immunity. Uh, shutdowns, obviously, block the development of herd immunity. You're delaying the inevitable. The reason they're talking about a second wave in every country except Sweden is because Sweden didn't shut anything down. Right. And they're they're done with the virus, basically. It's over in Sweden because they, they pushed through. The people who were sick or susceptible stayed home, and everybody else went out and killed the virus for them by conducting their lives. Yeah. Um, everything we know about virology says... Don't do everything we've done this time. Well, and, and that includes the stupid mask mandate. So not only is it an affront to rational thinking human, you know, free thinking human beings, it's also an affront to rational thinking human beings who understand that look, either masks work, and we don't need to social distance and shut down, or masks don't work, and we shouldn't be mandated to wear them. Right. And, and, and one more point to make is, if I if I'm if you're wearing a mask, what difference does it make if I am, if they work? Right. It's an, if you, if you want to wear a mask, fine. If it's supposed to work, what difference does it make if I'm wearing a mask? It doesn't. And here's the thing, Seton. A lot of the information we received from the CDC just came out. Six percent of the cases actually the people dying died from from coronavirus. The other ninety-four percent, well, slight evidence that they, they had an average of two point six, what they call comorbidity, right? Which means other things that were already killing them, and to use the French phrase, COVID was a coup de grace. Yeah, exactly. But the yeah. average, the average age of death in America is six months longer than the average death 
age of death of a COVID patient. And and here's another thing: so, Can the number of deaths uh, year to date are less now than they were last year, the year before, or back to 2009. Oh, it's, yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> so this there is, is no margin. There's no marginal increase in the number of deaths. No, no, and this is well. This is you know, we have the flu every year that kills. 60, 70, 80,000 people on average. Sometimes it's over 100,000. Right. This is a bad flu. You know, and you'll notice we're not getting any flu tallies. That We didn't get any flu tallies this year. Why? Because they're lumping him in with COVID to freak everybody out. That's probably the case. Well, Seton, look, you, you, you did write this column. I, wanted, I do want to talk about the government's myopic price setting never, ever works. And uh, it's so true. I mean, free markets understand pricing much better. And I just, we all have our self, uh, healthy self-interest, so we're going to take care of ourselves and make sure that we don't do things that are going to kill us. So we shouldn't be wearing masks. Certainly, you can wear a mask if you want to, but it shouldn't be some government official, telling, elected official, telling you it's the, what you have to do. But tell us about your column. Well, what I, the reason Mark has said price, well, there are 9,000 factors that coalesce into the price of the widget when you go to buy the widget. Right. It's labor, it's regulatory costs, it's taxes, it's costs of the, of the various materials to make the widget, some of which have gone up in the last month, some of which have gone down. Um, you've got other expenses for your business that go up and go down. And so the price constantly fluctuates. So the, 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 uh, the item I like to point to is, is, is for fluctuation purposes is gasoline. You see gasoline going up and down all the time because there are countless factors that go into it. And, you know, you, you, you have morons who don't understand that when, you know, a hurricane hits uh, New Orleans and, 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 the, and the Texas area, Corpus Christi, that's where half our refining capacity is to make gasoline. So when a lot of those go offline, the price immediately goes up. Why? Because the price at the pump doesn't reflect the, per- the price of the last gallon of barrel of oil. It needs to reflect the price of the next barrel of oil. Right. And if that's going to skyrocket because a bunch of refining capability is offline, it's going to skyrocket immediately in advance of, even though the gas you're getting wasn't affected by. And these are all factors in a market economy that affect the, the, the coalesce into the price you pay for whatever it is you're purchasing. Now, the government doesn't do this. Um, the, 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 uh, there's a, I can't remember what it's called, the Surface Transportation Board, another bureaucracy we've never heard of, that micro-regulates the, uh, the rail industry. Now, of course, there really isn't any passenger rail in America. The only passenger rail, really, is government. It's Amtrak. But there's a huge freight rail industry that, that is a key component of our, uh, our supply chain. Um, things get off of boats, they get on trains, they go to stations, and then they get on trucks and go to stores. Um, and the Surface Transportation Board has the authority to regulate the prices they charge people to use their train. Huh. Now, the, 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 the marker they use is called revenue adequacy, which means did they have enough revenue last year to justify the prices this year. Well, again, that takes one tiny factor into account of thousands that affect the price they charge. Right. Um, for example, rail freight rail runs on a very tight margin. Any major repair, uh, maintenance, uh, you know, growth of their of their infrastructure, they go into the general broad capital markets. And borrow money against everybody else, non-rail and rail alike. They go into the general capital market and say, we need money. So revenue adequacy is completely irrelevant to whether they can go borrow money. Now, if you slap price controls, if you put the industry in a straitjacket like that, who's going to lend the money? Right. And the answer is no one, because they can't make their money back to pay them back. So it's just it's and and of course the revenue adequacy they need to change their their fulcrum they use to decide whether or not to impose price controls. I'd like to see the board go away and not have price controls 
But at the very least, they got to recalibrate how they decide yeah. whether or not to impose them. Yeah. Because revenue adequacy, just to give you an example, the revenue they had in 2019, probably a little higher than they, the revenue they had in 2020 in the year of the shutdown. Right. Right? Absolutely. So they're going to judge whether or not to put price controls based on 2019 revenue adequacy in the middle of 2020 COVID shutdown. Yeah. Makes Does no that sense. make any sense? Makes no sense no. at all, Seton. And they've been using the same model, the revenue adequacy model, for 40 years. Yeah, I just try exactly. to put, I'll point out to our listeners that back in the the Carter years when he said, "No, we're not going to have an increase in gasoline because of what's going on with in with the cartel." Uh, we had lines; <laughs> people couldn't get gas. Oh my god, it was it was yeah, awful. You, you could all, you, you sit in line for eight hours, and then you could only get like half. Yeah, and it was unbelievable. Hey, Seton, I always appreciate your commentary here in the show. Uh, visit lessgovernment.org. You can also visit Less Government on Facebook. Seton, always a pleasure to get your commentary. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much, sir. My pleasure indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to be visit- visiting with Sharon Kenny. She is the author of Where Should We Eat? We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For the best in food and drink as well as great live entertainment, go to the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar. Formerly known as Weekend Willie's, the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar has terrific new local owners offering a great new upscale decor and a fabulous new menu. Linda and I are weekly regulars to hear live blues, but you can stop by anytime for great food and drink, to watch your favorite sporting event, or to hear great live entertainment five nights a week. The Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar is located at 5310 Shirley Street, just off Pine Ridge Road, and it's open from 11 a.m. until close every day. Visit the website dogtoothnaples.com or call 431-7004. That's 431-7004. I hope we'll see you there. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. The website is very robust. I hope you give them a visit and get tickets for the great productions coming up this season at gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Dave Bigo, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. Right now we have with us Sharon Kenny. Sharon is an author. Her book is Where Should We Eat? She also writes commentary on travel, dining, and entertainment. Sharon, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Sharon. So a lot of activity in restaurant closings and openings here on the Paradise Coast. Uh, Any thoughts? Well, we've got a lot of activity, openings and closings and everything, you know, and it's interesting to see, you know, fall's coming, and we're starting to enter that season when we have all these events coming up, yeah. you know, a season starting, and so we're hearing some announcements that are some good, some bad, so, you know, I spend a lot of time on the other coast as well, Miami-Dade has announced, uh, well, as of August 31st, they are now allowing indoor seating in their restaurants, thank goodness. Huh which is a huge boost for their restaurants. Um, up in Miami-Dade was the final uh, area, the final county in the entire state that was 
not allowing indoor seating. The restaurants could only have outdoor seating up until just, what, three days ago. Isn't that amazing? Sharon, uh, can you imagine restaurants, people, first of all, do you want to go to a restaurant in this heat? (laughs) And with the possibility of... Restaurant. Yeah, <laughs> violent weather and all kinds of things going on. So that's yeah, that's a it's uh, been a huge burden. Yeah, so they're probably going to what to have the fifty percent rule. Yes, yeah, fifty percent. Um, and so you know, and a lot just like here, a lot of the restaurants were doing outdoor seating, and and uh, you know, it, it's a friend of mine just came back from California where they have um, a lot of the outdoor seating as well, and what the restaurants were doing was putting up tents. And then because it's so windy there, they were putting up temporary walls. And so what was really supposed to be outdoor seating turned into basically an indoor area (laughs) anyway. Right, right. But anyway, so that's good news for Miami-Dade. But then, and some more good news for Miami-Dade, the Miami Dolphins um, have announced that they will be allowing limited indoor seating by fans when when the Dolphins start playing football again. Hmm. And so it's a percentage. I know uh, I'm a season's ticket holder, and I've already gotten my uh, my letter saying, are you interested? Do you want to postpone till next year? Because it is such a small percentage. Um, I believe they're going to allow 13,000 fans, something like that, in the stadium. Uh-huh. So it is an outdoor stadium, you know, so I guess that's part of the reasoning because I hear that it's different from stadium to stadium. But that's good news. That's good news. Now, what's the capacity of the stadium? I think it's 70,000 or more, isn't it? Yes, I think it's around 70 or 80,000. Yeah. Like that. And, so d- it's a fraction. And it is a little off topic, but how are the Dolphins going to look this year? Well, we're, everybody's focused on Tampa Bay. Yeah. I mean, they've already given Tampa Bay the Super Bowl with, uh, you know, all the new people going to Tampa Bay, most importantly, Tom Brady. So I think that um, Miami's going to do okay. <laughs> We're okay. Never, I don't think it's I don't think it's going to be a blowout season by any means. We're just happy to have any kind of live sport. Yeah. I've been so thrilled to be able to watch the NBA playoffs and in the bubble and they've been just fabulous. And our Miami Heat are doing amazing. They have the 6 and 0 record. Every game in the bubble in the playoffs, Miami has won. Yeah. Amazing. You know, I, just to comment on that, I'm so turned off by the, all this woke business that, of the NBA and these professional teams. You know, it's just dampened my enthusiasm. I used to watch every minute, of, for example, of the Celtics games. I haven't watched a minute of, of the Celtics games this year just because I, I just said turned off. Listen, these are the finest athletes in the world. Now, you know, we want to tune in and, as a distraction to watch these people. We don't want to be preached to by these folks. So anyhow, that's the, thanks for letting me get that off my chest. <laughs> well, you wouldn't have wanted to watch the Celtics game last night anyway. They lost. Yeah, that's what I understand. They didn't play very well. Yeah, buzzer, buzzer beater there at the end. But uh, anyhow. So uh, then another cancellation that we have now, big, big blow for Miami is Art Basel uh-huh. was canceled yesterday. That's the biggest art event around the world just about. It is. Huge art event brings, and it's, an, and it's a big event for all of the hotels, for all of the restaurants in Miami, and, and that is, uh, you know, it takes place the first week in December, really starts the season off in Miami, but it's a huge event. So that's a big blow to the restaurants and to the hotels yeah, in Miami. Yeah. So then, big question mark here in Naples. Um, we have had, I was looking the other day, cancellation of uh, St. Patrick's Day Parade, cancellation of Fourth of July. We have upcoming Thanksgiving Day Parade, and then we have um, the Festival of Lights, which is a massive event, the largest event in Naples, I mean, Collier County, really. It brings in upwards of more than 10,000 people for the Festival of Lights, which is the opening week of Thanksgiving on 3rd Street when they turn on all the lights and Santa comes and the snow starts falling. What's happening to all of that? So that's the question. You don't have an answer, really, then. I don't have an answer yet. I'm listening. I'm watching. And also, uh, January 1st, the fireworks. uh, December 31st, the New Year's Eve fireworks. Can't imagine that those are all going to go ahead. Uh, you can't. So I, I'm I can't. thinking. I just. I don't think they're going to do it. Huh? That's so interesting because they're mainly outdoor events. What you're talking about, uh, the, especially the uh, first, uh, the snow that coming down, and uh, you know, so well, it's. But the crowds. Yeah. There are crowds like crazy for those events. I don't know if you've been to the opening night of Festival of Lights. Oh, but of course. Yeah. It's just shoulder to shoulder. Yeah. And so, and same with the fireworks. You know, they did cancel July Fourth fireworks. 
but as far as I know, I have not heard what the uh, what they've done decided to do. You know, it's just things could change so dramatically by December thirty first. But well, you know, they Sharon, have to make those decisions soon. Yeah, in my view, again, along with my previous guess, I agree that uh, we have this pandemic, which is a, a virus, but I think it's been way overblown. And what is more contagious and more deadly, in my opinion, is the pandemic of fear that accompanies it. No question. Yes, yeah. absolutely. So, I mean, this, so all this stuff that we're doing and reacting is, is in my opinion, a way overreaction, and uh, we have to get our lives back to normal sooner than later, in my opinion. Well, and a lot of these cancellations are because the city has reduced revenue coming in as well, yeah. you know, and so the, the money that's coming in to, to, to promote these events, to hold these events, are, you know, is less. Yeah. And so it's a, it's a never-ending circle, Sharon, unfortunately, be, of, of bad news. Yeah, before I let you go, you wrote a terrific book, It's Where Should We Eat, and it, it's not opinions about restaurants, but it's rather the places that you like for various occasions, like if you want to have a casual meal, if you want to be by the water, if you want to retire, a uh, uh, wonderful evening, a uh, romantic evening. And you outlined that your favorite places here on the Paradise Coast. Uh, do you have a new edition coming out? Well, we need to have everything settled down, Bob. Oh, good point. <laughs> because uh, <laughs> I, every, as soon as I re, I've written four of those books, every every time by the time the book came out, there was always one restaurant at least that had closed. Yeah. And so you need to have all these to settle down, see where we come out. I think in Naples, of course, will be coming out great as always. Mm. But there's going to be a lot of changes yeah sharon kenny again author of where should we eat sharon i always appreciate your commentary very informative thank you so much for joining us great to talk to you always bob thank you so much all right coming up we're going to visit with dave bigo he's out in colorado uh we're going to talk to dave he wrote a book uh, where should uh <laughs> where should we eat? it's called uh, the devil at our doorstep about the travails of dealing with union bosses over the course of two and a half years. He prevailed and wrote a book about it that parallels very closely what's happening in the Democrat Party. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone, and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I can only imagine. Imagine prior to knee surgery, and you can too. Call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. They will thoroughly evaluate your condition, provide personalized, state-of-the-art treatment, and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle. At the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery. For an initial consultation, call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, located off Tamiami Trail in Bonita Springs at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. With all the threats to faith, family, and freedom, Christian Television Network, the Faith Center Fort Myers, and Florida Pastors Network invite you to Healing Our Nation Tuesday, September 22nd at 7 o'clock p.m. for a free panel discussion on engaging and impacting culture with a biblical worldview. Distinguished national guest Bishop E.W. Jackson, founder of Stand Foundation, staying true to America's national destiny. John Stenberger, founder of Florida Family Policy Council and called to vote, Along with historian and best-selling author, Dr. William Federer want to equip you to effectively respond to the moral and social issues impacting our community. Join us live on television September 22nd at 7 o'clock p.m. on CTN Southwest Florida or live streaming at ctntelevision.com or in person at the Faith Center. Details, ctntelevision.com. That's ctntelevision.com. Or call 239-543-7200. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. 
Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on the board. Uh, one of the things they do is create policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and I'm just so proud of this organization. It's been around eight years. I serve on the board. And uh, eight or nine years, and just the traction they've gotten in Congress and states and state houses around the nation, governors, and now in the White House, it's just amazing, and I'm just very proud. Uh, visit the website, thefga.org, thefga.org. Well, our guest, I, I called him, and I said, you know what, he sounded like he just needed a little bit more sleep, so... <laughs> <laughs> We're going to continue without him, but it gives me an opportunity to talk about what's happening in the NBA. And ratings for the NBA have dropped significantly as professional sport leagues become increasingly, quote-unquote, woke. In addition to obstacles presented by the coronavirus, a report from City Journal outlined the staggering ratings hit by the NBA because of its left-wing activism, most recently wearing social justice-themed warm-ups and jerseys that even postponing playoff games over the police shooting of Jacob Blake. Uh, and it's just amazing. Jacob Blake was a criminal, for crying out loud. He's had a warrant out for his arrest, and now these people are saying, no, we're not going to play basketball as a result. Anyhow, Americans have been falling progressively out of love with the NBA, and that includes me. For instance, the pandemic has only exacerbated an already difficult situation, the report says. TV ratings, mediocre after the season restarted, are down collectively by... 40% on TNT Network, 20% on ESPN, and even, even at their peak nearly a decade ago. The report noted that the NBA's network TV premium broadcast ratings on ABC are off by 45%, which a former public relations executive for NBA describes as a cratering of the viewership the pickup uh, in social justice-themed activists have been in large part sparked by the Los Angeles Laker, LeBron James. Now, I, I, you know, I certainly give credence to their beliefs, but unfortunately, there's a confluence of uh, Black Lives Matter. I understand that they want to, uh, to support people who are black or are getting arrested unfairly by the police, but the evidence just doesn't show that. In fact, uh, the, for the most part, the people that... Uh, for example, the shooting or their criminal behavior behind it. So Black Lives Matter, if you go to the website, you understand that it's a, uh, uh, anarch a they're anarchists. They want to overthrow the government. They want to destroy the family, the uh, nuclear family as we know it. So they've really, they're using this Black Lives Matter as a theme well, I think what they really want is they want to protect black lives. But the fact of the matter is that there is a confluence with the Black Lives Matter and what they want, which is to overthrow the United States government and to break up the nuclear family, among other things. So it's it's a real turnoff for me. I don't know about you, but it dampens my enthusiasm to support these, these teams. I'm reading a lot more and uh, doing other things that I enjoy. Professional golf seems to have less of a... Uh, less of an influence by this stuff. So, you know, we want a distraction. We all have problems. We have things that we deal with in our families, jobs, and so forth. Professional sports is a great distraction from that, as is, uh, as is NCAA basketball and football. And we appreciate those distractions. But, my goodness, professional athletes, stay in your lane. Cut it out. Do <laughs> Entertain us. Don't treat, preach to us, in my opinion. That's just how I see it. Well, it's over a four-day convention. Donald Trump and the Republican Party earned 147.9 million viewers and raised $76 million in cash over its four-year, uh, four-day convention. Joe Biden and the pro-riot party that wants to confiscate your guns and, your, and uh, force nuns to pay for abortion earned only 122 million viewers and raised just $70 million. So, uh, again, a difference of 20 million, 20 million viewers. And then, of course, Joe Biden going out to going to uh, Wisconsin yesterday. There's just it's all crickets. There's no energy behind that. Nobody's going to see uh, Joe Biden, but there's certainly people showing up to see President Donald Trump. A new poll predicts a landslide victory for President Donald Trump this November. Uh, he leads the Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden by three percentage points in the latest Democracy Institute Sunday Express poll, 48 to 45 percent, with pollsters predicting Trump will rout Biden in delegates 309 to 229. 
as the president holds a lead over the former vice president in swing states of Florida, Iowa, Michigan, Minnesota, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. Now, this certainly deviates from the other polling that we've seen where uh, Biden's ahead by 9% and so forth. But we all know those polls are skewed and they're uh, held by and supported by the mainstream media trying to prop up his candidacy and trying to dampen the enthusiasm of uh, Trump supporters, 37% of Americans surveyed by the Democracy uh, Institute say law and order was the top political issue, while 27% say they were concerned about the economy and keeping their current jobs or getting a new job. No surprises there. And then uh, final story here. The Iowa judge's ruling invalidating 50,000 requests for absentee ballots because of an election official pre-filled voters' personal information has handed President Trump's campaign an early win in its fight against expanding mail-in balloting. Judge Ian Thornhill this week ruled Lynn County Auditor Joel Miller, a Democrat, overstepped his bounds by pre-entering personal information in the ballots Mailed out to county voters, Miller had been ordered to void the original ballot requests and inform voters in writing they must process new absentee ballots or show up at the polls to vote in person. Now, what's really humorous about this is President Trump yesterday told uh, voters in Pennsylvania, well, you can vote my mail, but then show up at the uh, ballot box and you can vote and check and see if you if your ballot has actually been processed and counted. And if it's not, you can go ahead and vote again. And hey, my goodness, the, the mainstream media has just gone nuts about this. What's the president suggesting that people vote twice? No, he didn't. If you listen very carefully to what he said, he's just suggesting that you, uh, if you're going to vote by mail, make sure that your vote is counted. You can show up at and uh, <clears throat> at at the polling booth and uh, vote if in fact they say that uh, they don't have record of your of your ballot well mainstream media is, is suggesting trump is suggesting that we should break the law and vote twice well that's not doing but he certainly knows how to stir up the press he's it's just amazing what he can do and, of course, a media research center analyzed all the statements made by reporters, anchors, and nonpartisan sources such as experts or voters made by CBS Evening News, NBC Nightly News, and ABC's World Night uh, News Tonight uh, from June 1st through July 31st. That's two full months. The findings showed that Biden had, re- Biden had received eight positive evaluative statements with only four negative comments made by the former vice president in that two-month period. CBS Evening News, Nightly News on NBC and ABC's World Night News Tonight made a whopping 634 negative evaluative statements about Trump over the same period of time that, according to the study, the Evening Newscast made 34 positive statements about the president over the same period. Can you imagine that? So you wonder why the president is always tweeting and why he's calling him fake news at his rallies, well, the reason is obvious here. It's because they do are fake news, and uh, the president is right to call them out on that. It's been so obvious in previous elections, and quite frankly, what he's doing is making an impact. I encourage him, don't stop doing what you're doing. Keep on doing it, because it's a direct link, obviously, to his voters. 83 million folks follow him on Twitter, but of course now... Twitter and some of these, uh, Facebook and some of these other uh, sites are now trying to limit uh, conservative talk and influence on on their uh, media sites. It's very unfortunate. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. On Monday, we're going to visit with Mark Schulman. He's the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. Mark is always my liberal guest on the show, and we'll talk about current global events It's always interesting to talk with Mark. There's always a little tension in the conversation, but it's healthy. Uh, Unfortunately, we've lost the ability to have a dialogue with people with 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 whom we disagree. Well, I respect him tremendously and uh, always enjoy my conversations with him, although, um, for the most part, in some cases, I just don't agree with him. We're going to visit with Larry Reed. He is the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. We'll also visit with Jim McTagg. Jim is an author of a couple of books. He's a former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. He's author of Follow the Leader and Shake the Money Tree. So I always look forward to my conversations with Jim as well. I hope you make it. A, and by the way, we're going to do this show on Labor Day. So I hope you will tune in and listen. I hope you make it a great day and safe and healthy weekend on the Paradise Coast. 
Uh, namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.